everybody. You're listening to Chatting with Candace. I'm your host, Candace Horback. Before we get started on this week's episode, if you want to support the podcast, you can do that simply by leaving a review or giving a five-star rating. This week, we have the CEO of the Child Rescue Coalition joining us. We're going to talk about some uncomfortable statistics that are happening, how the lockdown has affected the numbers regarding to online predators. It's really important stuff. I feel like it's not getting enough mainstream attention, so I'm really trying to highlight causes that I think are worthy of the attention. It's a little bit heavy. I think it's super important and it's very informative. So I hope that you take something away from this podcast and that maybe it inspires you to get involved. I'll keep a link in the show notes where you can donate to the Child Rescue Coalition or you can go to the childrescuecoalition.org to start making a difference. Well, hi, Carly. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. I'm really excited to shed some light on your guys' operation. If you want to introduce yourself and the company to the listeners, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me today and highlighting the work that we're doing at Child Rescue Coalition. I'm Carly Yost. I'm the CEO and founder of the nonprofit organization. And we are dedicated to preventing the abuse of the sexual abuse of young children. So we do that by the technology that we build and give to law enforcement free of charge that identifies child predators all over the world. We're now working in 96 countries around the world where we give our technology to law enforcement that identifies these child predators and rescues children that are being abused. It's so incredible. When I found out you were in 96 countries, like that's so impressive. I guess, how did you get like that big of a spread? Because I know like financially, especially with a tech company, I can't even imagine what it costs just to have so many people keeping the tech up to date and having them on salary. So how did you, how do you support yourself? Yeah, that's actually, that is our biggest expense is making sure that we have really skilled and talented programmers and technologists that are keeping the tool working for all of our officers, using it all over the globe, and making sure that we're staying in areas of the internet that predators are lurking and where we know that they're trading child sexual abuse material. But we do have relatively a small team. So the way that we've been able to get our message out there and get our training and the technology in the hands of so many officers is our partnership through law enforcement. So we we actually only have a team of about 11 of us full-time oh, wow. staff in South Florida. And so that's mostly comprised of technology team and, and everything it takes to run our nonprofit. But we have over 12,000 trained officers. And out of those officers, we've elevated 100 of them to be instructors on our behalf. So that when a new country like Brazil or a new area that's never been trained before pops up, we have an instructor in one of those areas of the world that works and is doing this paid by their own agency, but will do the training and train our tool to the new officers, really because they believe so much in the work that we're doing. So been really successful, I've been able to stay really kind of a small, tight-knit team, but really a large coalition of these investigators and instructors that are helping us implement all this training around the world. Now, are you able to tell us like a little bit about how like the tech works? I know it's probably tricky because you obviously want to keep some of it or most of it secret to obviously be useful. But to me, like it's so interesting because you can see 
big tech kind of censor what they want to censor, right? And it seems very easy to find like these political videos that they maybe want to take down. But then you have something that's like truly harmful, like child, I'm going to call it like child rape material, right? I hate the term child pornography because I find that to be so misleading. So I guess it's a two-part question. So how come it's so difficult for big tech to censor this on their own? And then how does your tech help? Right. Yeah, great question. And great point that you had about really trying not to call this child pornography anymore. It's still federally defined child mm-hmm. pornography. So law enforcement and it's still being used, the term, but it's such a misleading mm-hmm. term and concept. These children are not in any way, as you know, willing participants and it's nothing right. like anything that resembles pornography. And, no. and really as an organization, we've been trying to refer to it as child sexual abuse material. But I like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you said, child rape images is what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. this for very young children being sexually abused in a graphic way and, and just purely the trade of it and the possession of it is a felony. So mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're going after and what we're targeting in these offenders. So yeah, you asked about how the, the technology works. So our tool, which we built all in-house, and it's our technology sits in areas that we know the majority of these child sexual abuse images are being traded. And that's actually not websites or typical places that a non-predator might think you people go to to find these images. What predators have gotten good at is they go to more underground areas of the internet. So even like the dark web or peer-to-peer chat-based networks. That's where our tool sits. So if you're familiar, like back in the day with how Napster worked and people would trade music files or how they currently trade free movie files, mm-hmm. predators sit in these same type of peer-to-peer networks and they're advertising, making available these images. And they're also downloading and in possession of illegal files and images. So it is public forums of the internet and our tool is built in and tracks the trade of anytime someone's on these peer-to-peer networks and they're advertising that they're in possession of these known illegal files. And so actually officers have viewed the images before labeling Mm -hmm. them to us so that we know that they are indeed child sexual abuse material. So the federal definition of it would be a child under the age of 18. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we actually even go even more strict threshold of we're tracking people trading children 12 and younger. Wow. Because we want to make sure it's just without a question, without a doubt, it's a legal file for them to be trading. And so we're able to show the officer a whole profile of their jurisdiction. So if they're an officer in North Carolina or an Mm -hmm. officer here in Florida, we'd be able to show them their jurisdiction, who all the IP addresses are that are trading this kind of material, how many files that they're trading, the type of files, even the age range of the victims that Mm -hmm. they're trading. And we also like to show the investigators too other indicators. So we've observed that predators trade how-to manuals and grooming documents of how to gain access to children and how to normalize sexual behavior. So it's really, to us, as an indicator that that person's even more likely to be a hands-on abuser. So Mm -hmm. we'd like to show that to the investigator. And from there, they're able to turn that IP address into a subpoena to that internet service provider and actually find a name and address from which all that activity is occurring from. 
And so we really give them all the probable cause to start the investigation and go into the home, start seizing evidence and make the arrest of that predator. And then do you find when the subpoenas are getting issued that these like tech companies are like really compliant and they're like willing to help or because I think the conversation that I see a lot too is the argument of privacy and so many people aren't willing to give up like this insane amount of privacy that we expect to have when it comes to encrypted messaging, such as like WhatsApp or like Facebook Messenger or whatever. So do you find companies are like, yeah, very cooperative or is there like a little bit of friction there? Thanks. Certainly are cooperative in our cases because all that our officers are requiring is that they provide the information from the subpoena, which is the subscriber information and the address of that location. So we already know what files they're trading. We know what IP address was trading it and when, and really have a lot of the evidence collected already for that officer to go ahead and have the probable cause they need to, to start that investigation and ultimately make the arrest of that individual. Mm-hmm. What we do know that officers are going through is a significant problem when there's more evidence that comes along. So maybe they were sending messages on Facebook or chatting with a minor um, Mm -hmm. a certain app. And so if those were using end-to-end encryption or some type, you know, even just using the the actual platform, the platform themselves can sometimes be difficult working with law enforcement to get Mm -hmm. them the evidence that they need. But it is, they are required to the companies and the internet service providers when they're working with our officers and it's a matter of, we know there's been child sexual abuse material being traded and here's the IP address and we need to turn this into a person to figure out who's behind it. They're required to do so. And usually in child exploitation cases, they do so fairly quickly um, Mm -hmm. when it's just a matter of figuring out who's behind that IP address. So I was reading that there's like a huge spike in like these online predators I guess, like activities because of like lockdown and a lot of kids are on their phone more and doing distant learning. I was even reading that some people are hacking into Zoom with kids, which is so crazy. Have you seen like a statistical spike since like the pandemic? And I guess how do those platforms that are encrypted create like a hurdle for your company? Right. Yeah. So we definitely see that there's just a lot more people in general online right now. So more Mm -hmm. kids using the internet because we're home more now than ever doing virtual learning and predators are online more than ever. So we definitely did see an increase. It was actually interesting. We ran our numbers and we saw an initial decline when we all kind of went into quarantine at first and all this was happening. It was almost like the world kind of was in shock for a second. But then as more time was being spent at home, we did see a definite increase in predator activity. And then certainly organizations like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and other tip-based organizations have seen a, a massive increase in how many predators are contacting children and how much activity is going on. But definitely there's the issues of Zoom, certainly Mm -hmm. we've been hearing about that for a while now where schools or classrooms or tutors are online with children and predators are able to trade those Zoom accounts and are actually logging in and either exposing inappropriate images or or just in a room with children that they shouldn't be in a room with. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a concern. So for sure, tips to parents and teachers and educators 
make sure your Zoom classrooms are always password protected and then you're not sharing that link out like on a, a Facebook that anyone could grab because even if that link has the password embedded in it, if you make it shareable, then anyone can really access that room. And some of the just tips for parents we have, don't allow the devices that you're using and all this new platforms and apps and everything, don't let them be doing this without kind of eyes on it. So don't have them take it into their bedroom without you in the room. And just keep that open communication with kids to know that you might be checking in on their devices and seeing who they're talking to and who they're communicating with. It's definitely important information to be out there. So with your company, do you focus mostly on like recycled content? Because I was listening to a podcast that Sam Harris had done somewhat recently on like this whole issue of online predators and like these abusive child videos that are kind of going around. So do you focus mostly on material that kind of keeps getting passed from hand to hand? Or do you also focus on like new content and like predators that are actively trying to, I guess, get new children to like send them material through like TikTok or Snapchat or whatever? Yeah. So I would say we're, we're focused on all of it. We definitely Mm -hmm. want to be catching the people who are producing these images and actively abusing children. And that's actually one of our big points is that even people training any kind of child sexual abuse material, it's an 85% chance that they've already hands-on abused a child. So a real big driver and motivator of why we find this work to be so important and why we keep doing it. But about your question, the bulk of what we are tracking and the trade of is material that has been viewed by law enforcement. So they viewed it and categorized it to us. Mm -hmm. So if brand new content that was just produced that day We wouldn't know about it until law enforcement has seized a new device, discovered new content, and then actually they automatically push that and categorize that into our database. So we're constantly getting a new feed of new files and images to update and refresh our, our database. But one thing that I wanted to talk about was a new project that we're doing. We actually just received a large grant funding to be doing this, but as work with predators who are using devices and the internet to online stream and online demand abused children. So they're using some sort of payment form, usually electronic payment, and there's usually a live child either via Zoom or Skype or a lot of different platforms. And that predators are actually paying a predator to abuse them on video. And so we have a whole project that we're working on to go after those type of predators. So we're definitely, we're interested in all of it. Old content from the seventies, if someone's still trading those, we're interested in it because it predicts that someone's likely to still be a hands-on abuser if they're Mm -hmm. just consuming and trading this material. And certainly predators that are trading and making new material and have access to a live child. We definitely want to find them and want law enforcement to to rescue those children. Now with that, so do you see like a crossover from the people that are trading the material and doing like these awful live, I don't even know what to call it, like a live abuse chat room show with kids that are like missing and being trafficked? Like are those things tied in together? Are they separate issues? I think it's definitely all connected. And a lot of the images that we see traded in mm-hmm. these peer networks and by predators 
are those that are of children who have been trafficked. So human trafficking victims or children sold in brothels for sex or anywhere happening here in the United States. Mm -hmm. Images and videos get taken of them and the predators start trading it all over the internet. And so also those same people who are likely to show us that they're interested in children sexually by downloading these images are the same people who would purchase a child for sex. And really, I think by us working so much to work with law enforcement, lead to the arrest of these predators, it's hopefully really making a decrease in the demand of trafficking by getting just all these child predators off the streets. So we have led to the arrest of over 12,000 child predators uh, Mm -hmm. just in the last, I would say, seven years. And so we really hope we're working towards that effort to fight trafficking as well. But just my last point on that is the number one indicator that someone could be likely primed to be trafficked later in life is that they've experienced early childhood sexual abuse. And that's absolutely what we're fighting at the core is that anyone We hope to live in a world where nobody has to experience that and really stop that cycle and chain of abuse from happening. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to like these grooming materials and handbooks, do you have some tips for like parents and caregivers as to like what to look for? Because we recently just had a baby. So I kind of like dove deep into just like trying to learn as much as I could about this. And it's so interesting because the data suggests that it's almost – someone that you know, it's, you know, they work their way into your circle. So if you could give like tips as to like telltale signs, that would be great. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I am a mother of two young kids myself. And so even before I had kids, this work was so important to me. And then having a child just makes it so much more important. Absolutely. And actually we ended up working two cases that impacted my own town that I live in and really kind of hit home close to my own children. So there's a local gym, like a kid's gym, a little gymnastics studio that I had just signed up to take my kids to and hadn't gone for the first time yet. But all my friends had been there and really liked the place. And the gymnastics coach was arrested because of the technology we were providing to law enforcement. Wow. Had creating images of of like four-year-olds and seven-year-olds and exactly our kids' ages. So really kind of hit home. And also we identified a doctor in the area and it was actually a next door neighbor of a really good friend of mine's house who my children play at that house all the time. So, and it was the next door neighbor of that. So yeah. So kind of forget what your question was, but I just, it really brought me home when you said you had just had a kid and really how important this work is. No, I think, so it, it helps. So the question was like, like telltale signs because there's a lot of books, especially when it comes to the psychology of like, of just like human nature. So we always say like, trust your gut. If someone gives you a bad vibe, like go with it, but they've done studies and it's really a coin toss as to like whether your quote unquote intuition is accurate or not when assessing a person, even people that are like professionally trained, it's really difficult to know if someone's intentions are right or wrong. And they used, I can't, I wish I could remember the name of the book, but they used a couple of predators as examples. And these parents were like, I had no idea. Like he was at our home. He was coming to dinners. We thought he was so great with our kids. So from like your standpoint, cause you get to see like a, a lot of volume, what are like some common telltale signs that we can actually look for rather than just go off of our feelings? 
Yeah, I think that is great points. And, and, and what you said before too, about most often it's predators that we know. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are fearful of the kidnapping and the abductions of strangers. And that does happen. And it is horrific. But most child sexual abuse is that person who's grooming the family and grooming the child. So that's kind of a big one is like, how do you know yourself that you're being groomed? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, we've met, I've had people come to our events who their own husband or their the stepfather, the family all trusted them. And it was discovered that they were a child predator and that they were trading this kind of material. So it's always a shock to the family. It just seems like it's, it is someone who puts themselves in positions of trust that are trusted members of our community. So it's certain signs like, you know, is this person really trying to overly groom the family, really get in and paying special attention to that child and trying to get alone time with them? So a coach that, you know, just wants the one-on-one practice with them that really sees them being the shining star on the team and trying to pull kind of them away from the family to get one-on-one alone time. So just be cautious of situations like that and know that you're not going to just know who a predator is because they look or act a certain way. Unfortunately, it's not that easy to tell. Mm -hmm. And then definitely people who are trying to talk to your children through text or calls, sending them gifts kind of thing, things to look out for. And then just behavior changes in your child if anything is happening there. I think that's really important. So I had Keith Wagner on recently. He's a results coach for Tony Robbins, and he just recently started a nonprofit as well. He focuses more on like the tactical training for law enforcement and these things. And that was a similar thing that he said was looking for changes in your kids, like demeanor, personality. And that's like a huge indicator that like something's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And just why it's so important to have open-ended questions with your child about starting from an early age about their body and ownership of their body. Mm -hmm. Um, We're actually going to be releasing a campaign soon that's coloring pages that are happy and positive, but reinforce that I'm the boss of my body and I get to choose who touches me and, and just body empowerment. And then I think as that child gets older, and we have a lot of resources on our website at childrescuecoalition.org, but dealing with teens and children that are now on devices, Mm -hmm. that that open communication and who they're talking to and who their friends are and how they know them, and definitely picking up on any kind of changes in behavior. I think a big one too, with this pandemic and people being home more, and even before it was just children playing online games and the concept of how you meet a friend and how you know people in real life and gain trust versus friends that you're meeting in the virtual space and that you really don't know who they are. And a lot of predators kind of get into people's home that way, develop what the child feels is a true friendship or a trust within that person, and then go on to start trying to abuse that child. So. Mm-hmm. Definitely the internet has made a complex way of life for parents to, it used to be simpler of like, who's in my child's life. And now it's really opened it up to so many different, different avenues. Yeah. It makes it a lot more difficult too when 
there's just so many in platforms that are encrypted as well because it would be a lot easier for companies to get involved and companies like yours to probably have bigger success numbers. But I can't remember how they worded it on Sam Harris's episode, but he's like, if I knew that giving up like a little bit of my privacy could even help one kid, then that's totally worth it. So why do we have like this crazy obsession with privacy? Do you guys do any work with like litigation at all or like trying to, or legislation, I'm sorry, with like trying to like fix some of these privacy laws or do you just kind of stay out of that? We had before just because we are a small team stayed out out of it, even though it's very, it impacts us in a great Mm -hmm. way. So I think the issue of that you bring up of end-to-end encryption and making it so that law enforcement can't even get access to conversations when we know a child was being abused really Mm -hmm. is horrific. And I don't think it fits what society feels. Mm -hmm. I think, of course, we all value privacy, but, but like you said, you know, not at the expense of, of children actively being abused and law enforcement being hamstring to, to not be able to do their cases or investigation. So we're trying to play more of an active role of when important cases are coming up that we have to say so and that we're weighing in on new legislation that's happening. So a recent one, which really wasn't about the privacy issue, but it was about child exploitation, is we were weighing in on the sale and the purchase of child sex dolls. So it's something that people don't even realize that predators are able to go on companies like Amazon, purchase a doll that is a childlike sex doll for the predator purposes. They're shipping them into the United States and there's no federal banning of the sale of these child sex dolls. So we were taking a stance on that, that that it doesn't help predators in any kind of way. It's just another form of child exploitation. And it is connected to people and only aggravates people who are likely to be a hands-on abuser of a child in the future. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because a lot of the conversation that I see is that people say, you know, well, maybe this is preventing them acting out on a real child. But the data, if I'm correct, suggests it's actually the opposite. Right. Absolutely. And people made that argument years ago about child sexual abuse material. So it's just images or videos. It's not really, you know, maybe it's stopping them from abusing children in real life. And it absolutely does not. It encourages them, desensitizes predators even Mm -hmm. to images don't become enough. And it's only a matter of time before they can actually find a child that they want to abuse. And we would argue the same thing with the dolls as well. So we've seen a lot of cases where they're trading child sexual abuse material. They have one of these child sex dolls that unfortunately they purchased legally in almost every state in the United States. There's only three that have banned the sale of those sex dolls. And then they're also abusing children. So yeah, we've seen that 85% of people just viewing those images are hands-on abusers of children. So it's really all connected. It it definitely doesn't help or prevent predators from going down that path. We think it actually just speeds it up. And if if predators weren't even allowed to have access to, we'd love to see a day where, where child sexual abuse material didn't exist on the internet and we didn't have to police this. And also we'd love to see the day where dolls like that aren't legally being sold 
in the United States because it's definitely not helping the situation. Yeah. I saw when you had that campaign going, I actually signed that petition. So what was the feedback that you got? Because you said only three states have made it illegal. So the other ones, like, do you get responses or a holding pattern? Yeah. So we just launched that campaign, I think maybe a month and a half ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And the response was great from our supporters in the community. I think we had around over 150,000 signatures of people agreeing that they were pretty outraged that that's not illegal in Mm -hmm. the United States and that these dolls are being sold. And we've gotten feedback from now three politicians who are enacting a new law to federally ban the sale of these dolls. So we're supporting that. We support any legislation that's out there trying to, to ban this and make the law stricter against the trade of it. But it is kind of like a holding pattern. It's There's a lot going on in the government right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably seeing any kind of legislation like that actually enacted and changed will happen after the election. And it'll be interesting. That's not really the space we sit in. We don't have a lobbying team on, on our organization or someone who just sits in D.C., but we're definitely for any politician on both sides who are for strict laws against child predators that are hurting children. Now, do you have any ways that people can kind of get involved, whether it's like with your organization or with trying to get their legislators to pass certain laws? Like how do people that feel moved with this kind of work, like make a difference? Yeah. So we definitely would love for people to go on our website, childrescuecoalition.org, sign up for our newsletter, which is always releasing new cases that we're working on and new predators that we've just identified. So by donating and supporting, you can know that our technology is going free of charge to law enforcement to continue to identify these child predators. Some cases that I was really excited about that just came out in the last, I would say, few weeks were a pastor in Orlando that we identified because of our technology. There was, and these just happen to be Florida cases, but we do work around the world. There was a middle, no, an elementary school teacher just in the last few weeks that we identified in in Boca Raton, Florida, same town that we work in. And then another national case was actually 61 predators were just arrested in France, all fueled by our tool. Um, wow. And an investigation done, which revealed teachers and coaches, a lot of trusted members of the community. So certainly by by supporting our organization, you'll be able to keep tabs of, of the work that we're doing and know that you're making an impact in helping children, rescuing victims, and identifying these predators. We're going to be launching in a couple weeks a way for people to do an at-home volunteer program, which is actually assembling and making care packages for law enforcement so that when a child's rescued from the scene of a crime, that they have something really comforting and nice to give to that child. And it's also a way that you can give your local agency information about our tool and make sure that they're using it. And if they are using it, thank them for the great job that they're doing. And maybe if they haven't heard of it yet and know that it's free and available to them, that they encourage them to get trained on our tool. We're excited to be launching that soon, and we'll we'll have updates on that on our newsletter and on our Facebook and Instagram. So definitely encourage people to sign up and learn more about the work that we're doing. Well, you're doing beautiful work. I really hope that some people kind of feel this and help support your cause. 
I think it's amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And gosh, thank you for highlighting what we're doing. And we just transitioned to a nonprofit about six years ago now. And it's really been amazing to see how many people from when we started are now willing to talk about this. It's a dark issue. It's hard to hear about and hard to know how much of it's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think people are finally to a position where they they want to talk about it and they want to do something to put a stop to it. And mm-hmm. we just appreciate you for bringing awareness to our organization. Of course. Well, I'll definitely keep an eye out on all of that. And thank you again for joining. Yeah, thank you. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have the time, please rate and review, and you can always hit subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. I hope to have you back.